Welcome to Eastern Carolina Farming. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. We had a couple of 70-degree days last week. We won't get that again this week, but we will see a repeat of yesterday's wet weather somewhere along in midweek. However, the high temperatures this week will top out only in the upper 50s. After all, it is late January. Jeff Turner is MIA today. He's off duck hunting, and I'm hopeful, as I love to eat duck. Jeff, by the way, if you're listening, I'll pass on the merganser. Beaufort County Extension Agent Rod Gerganis hooked me up with Archie Griffin. Archie is a Washington-area farmer that grew up on what was primarily a tobacco farm. His story and the farm's diversification are interesting, and we'll get to that on the program. This is a good spot to mention. If you know somebody who's doing something interesting or innovative in local agriculture, email me. Send an email to dan at ecfarming.com, danecfarming.com. Our program today is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Normally, we'd welcome Jeff Turner in Duplin County at this point, but I'm reaching out to Raleigh and friend of the program, Dr. Rachel Van, who we affectionately call the Soybean Queen, but more formally referred to as Soybean Extension Specialist and Assistant Professor at NC State University. Are you locked in, Rachel? Yes, and delighted to be so. Did I happen to mention you'd be playing the part of Jeff Turner today? All right, I'm up for the challenge. We're going to chat on today's program with somebody who you may know, and that is Archie Griffin, a Beaufort County farmer, mostly tobacco farmer, but also plants a pretty good herd of soybeans. I was just going to say, you know, don't focus too much on the tobacco. Archie's got some good beans as well. (laughs) And some sweet corn coming, too. He's fanning the net. I'll be asking him that question coming up just ahead. I got up with you to get up with the little shindig that you've got going in Wilson, the NC Coastal Plain Regional Grain Production Meeting. Give give us the who, what, and where of that. Okay. We are piloting a new model of trying to regionalize our grain meetings, try to bring in an outside speaker to provide a diverse perspective that will be valuable to our farmers and make these more of an event, like the Blackland Farm Managers Tour, for example. We're really excited about this. So this upcoming meeting's on February 10th from 8 to noon. It'll be at the Wilson County Agricultural Center. We will have a keynote presentation from Dr. Jeremy Ross, who is the soybean extension specialist at the University of Arkansas. And in the Mid-South, they shifted to producing earlier maturing varieties several decades ago. And so Jeremy, who's been a specialist down there for many years, has some good insight into some of the challenges that our growers in the coastal plain are encountering now that we're shifting to producing earlier maturing varieties. Things like desiccants to try to protect seed quality or accelerate harvest, what the optimal planting timing is, how we effectively manage pests in these earlier maturing varieties. Jeremy has a lot of experience with this, and we're delighted that he's going to come share some of the perspectives on what they've learned out of the Mid-South that can help our growers be more effective managing early maturing varieties. And so he will come and keynote this regional meeting and then some of the extension specialists who you'll recognize their names more, like Dr. Ron Heinegger, Dr. Dominic Reising, Wes Everman, myself, and Dr. Rich Bonanno, who's the Associate Dean for the College of Ag and Life Sciences, will join us that day. So we're really excited I was going to ask this in a separate form of questioning, but it kind of dovetails so well as you're talking about uh, early emergent hybrids 
the soybean yield contest results just out like a couple of days. Your your overall take from that was early yield, better yield. Early planting, better yield. Early maturing, better yield. I'll get it. I'll just keep going. <laughs> there is a lot of emphasis on early right now in the soybean extension program, but I also think that, you know, what's a good fit in terms of optimizing yield and profit in the Blacklands doesn't apply necessarily to the whole state. And I do think there are some challenges uh, to growing early maturing varieties in the coastal plain. And we get a lot of questions from those growers who have more recently adopted producing earlier maturing varieties. And I think Jeremy can help answer some of those questions based on his experience. Incentive for attending the conference, uh, you get pesticide certification credits as well, or you can. Yep, we have uh, CEU credits as well as pesticide credits, and breakfast and lunch will be included. What's the best way to get our spot reserved? So there's a flyer being circulated by your county extension agents. It's also been shared on the NC State Soybean Extension Portal that has a QR code where you can register or, if you prefer, you can call the Wilson County Extension Office to register. If you want to write it down, it's 252-237-0111. As you look at uh, 2022 now in the taillights, it was a good year. It was not the best year ever for North Carolina soybeans, but I do want to highlight that in 2022, there were several challenging weather points across most of the state in our soybean production. And you can see some of that challenging weather and how it affected our corn yields in the state for last year. We had a dry June across much of the state. We had a dry September and uh, even late August in some of the state. And despite that, our soybeans in North Carolina in 22 averaged 39 bushels per acre, which is almost at record. And I think that really highlights the resiliency of soybeans planted in, in North Carolina and how they can flower and produce reproductively uh, over a lo- much longer period than corn, for example. And that can allow us to maintain some high yields despite uh, adverse environmental conditions at certain points in the season. And I would also say we had another year where it was relatively dry across much of the state during harvest. And so we saw minimal seed quality issues, and that really allows us to capitalize on the yield benefits from using early maturing varieties without the big seed quality risks that we'll see in a year where we have, you know, severe hurricane or high temp and heavy rainfall that intensify those issues. Considering the weather conditions in uh, 2022, we had a solid year across the state. Excellent. Dr. Rachel Van talking about the North Carolina Plain Regional Grain Meeting coming up on February the 10th. Coming up in just a moment, we'll get up with Archie Griffin. That's next on Eastern Carolina Farming. And thanks in part to Donna Byram of First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna today at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. This is Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller, and this is Eastern Carolina Farming, brought to you in part by Ag Carolina Farm Credit. Get back to your roots. Ag Carolina Farm Credit offers no-hassle loans for agriculture and rural living in North Carolina. Online at agcarolina.com. Archie Griffin grew up in Beaufort County, North Carolina, on the farm, and farms there with his dad now. And when I got up with you last Thursday to clear you up for the program today, I didn't realize that you were a Nuffield scholar. 
And to be quite frank with you, I didn't know what an Enoughfield Scholar was. In the future, I'd love to have Jeff and I get up with you and talk specifically about that. But if you could tell all of us what that is before we even get at the heart of what your farm is all about. It is a program specifically for farmers and agribusiness um, individuals. I personally was sponsored by TIAA Cref. You have a study topic. My study topic in general was how to tie agriculture together with the renewable energy sector. And you travel around the world and look at uh, agriculture and, and how that pertains to your study topic. I traveled to a total of 18 different countries, probably one of the most educational programs I've ever been a, been a part of. You meet so many great people that uh, you can relate to and meet so many people that you can bounce ideas off of. We're just now starting it, uh, starting to get it developed in the U.S. Uh, every year we're getting more and more applicants and more scholars. Well, I wanted to get that out and set aside because obviously some of the information that uh, we chat about is going to be stuff that you gleaned from your association and your travel around the world. But let's take it all back to where's the family farm? About 10, 10 minutes outside of Washington, between Washington, Williamston, and uh, Janesville. Now, you're second, third generation farmer? Yes, third generation farmer. When you were growing up as a kid, did you think this was going to be your path of endeavor or uh, or not? Funny you mentioned that. I was, was raised on the farm and, and had some interest in the farm, but I was... I guess appointed to do a lot of the grunt labor. Um, it was demanding. It was it was hard, and it was not necessarily what I thought was the best path. When I went off to school, I was actually pursuing uh, a degree in engineering. And my junior year of college, I decided that engineering and sitting in an office was not necessarily what I wanted to do for the rest of my life had a conversation with my mother and father and decided that I wanted to come back to the farm. You know, working working with family is always, uh, oh, yeah. it can be challenging. We did a, a bit of a trial run for a year or two to see if it was going to work out. I graduated in 2012 and came directly back to the farm. I have been here for 11 years now. And I imagine part of your deal was is you saw the way that granddad did it, you saw the way your father did it, and you just wondered what you were going to contribute. Unfortunately, I was never lucky enough to, to meet my grandfathers, but my grandfather was a, a tenant farmer. Um, he he didn't have a whole lot, and my father and mother built the business up to what it is today. I saw the way my dad did it, and I was always, I've always been a curious individual. I always, uh, not to be a, a rebel, but I've always questioned. My father always said that this is how we do it. Um, this is how it's always done. And during tough times, you just have to tighten your belt and buckle down and, and keep going. I, I, as much as I like that, uh, was curious if there was another way if there was other things that other farmers had done. Let's let's draw a picture yeah. of the farm. So how many acres do you guys have uh, till? So we currently farm about 2,000 acres. We have about 300 acres of tobacco. We have uh, roughly anywhere from 1,000 to uh, 1,100 acres of soybeans. 
and then we have roughly 25 acres of squash and 25 acres of sweet corn, a couple acres of asparagus and odds and ends that we're, we experiment with. Primarily, our biggest commodity, biggest acreage is going to be in soybeans. Tobacco has been our bread and butter for uh, as long as I can remember. Um, and to give you some insight on it, it makes up about 15% of our acres, so about uh, 300 acres of tobacco, but it accounts for about 80% of our gross revenues each year. That's a big egg, I guess, in the basket yeah. to, be, to rely on every year, and tobacco is its not what it used to be. We'll expand on that in just a minute, Archie, but first, we've got to get a break in on Eastern Carolina Farming. This is Eastern Carolina Farming on Talk 96.3 and 103.7, brought to you in part by the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. More than agriculture, it's got to be NC, North Carolina's official business and marketing program for agriculture. We're talking with Archie Griffin, farmer from Beaufort County, along with his mom and dad farming. We're tobacco farmers. Actually, talk about tobacco we were just talking about before the break. Not much margin in that anymore. Margins are extremely tight. Uh, to give you some reference, uh, the, the companies up until the past year or two, they've paid about the same price since the 90s. It gets tougher and tougher and tougher each year. Staff is more difficult. Tobacco is a, is a hand-friendly crop. Very labor-intensive crop. When I came back, I, I was looking at labor and how to, to get quality labor. And, and we enrolled in the H-2A visa program yep. where we get employees from uh, Mexico and they come over, come over every year. And it's been a very beneficial program for us. Dedicated labor, but not cheap labor. It is not cheap at all. Um, you pay for it. We cover uh, all of their visas. We cover their house, all of their utilities. We give them a vehicle to drive. In today's society, you have to have that. We need people that will show up every day at the same time and are willing to work. As you look to diversify, I can see where having those labor relationships could be a real benefit. We're constantly looking for other crops to offset that cost um, of labor. We have ventured out into spaghetti squash and acorn squash, butternut squash, sweet corn, asparagus. Uh, we're going to put in some broccoli and cabbage this year. My father's always stressed that efficiency is the, the key to a successful operation, and um, efficient is what we strive to be. At Griffin Farms, you guys have done sweet corn for a pretty good period of time. And for those who don't know, our sweet corn fits in a harvest schedule that changes by the month all the way up the eastern seaboard so that the entire eastern seaboard gets fresh sweet corn. But have some of those connections really helped you and the other vegetables you're trying to bring online? Yes. Uh, sweet corn has been very good for us. Uh, I started growing sweet corn and selling it out of a truck, I think, 12 or 13 years old, and it has slowly, we've expanded acres every year. Having that insight on how to grow and how to handle uh, a food crop has definitely paid dividends. Given what you say that you're brought online for the farm, I'm seeing an agritourism piece here. I'm seeing a direct-to-consumer piece. Yes, so... Uh, 
We are ramping up now. We should finish construction uh, in the coming weeks and be ready to rock and roll and open up sometime in April. That will be a uh, business that my wife will end up running, and she has got some experience with that in the past. In her hometown of Clinton, we'll have everything from produce to meats to cheeses. We are focused on getting products from North Carolina, um, and when I say that, our goal by the end of year one is to have some sort of agriculture product from all 100 counties in the state of North Carolina. Um, that's a, a lofty goal for us, but uh, we believe it can be accomplished. And I'll be stopping by for sweet corn. Been a few years since I sold it out of the back of a John Deere garden tractor trailer. That is Archie Griffin of Griffin Farms, Washington, North Carolina, just off Highway 17. Coming up in just a moment, Gary Crawford has a report on the fact we're eating more foreign foods. And I'll have last week's market numbers week over week. That's next on Eastern Carolina Farming. Are you buying and consuming more food and drink items produced in some other country? If so, you're not alone. In fact, our purchases of foreign agricultural products are taking us into record territory as far as food imports. During the first 11 months of 2022, we consumers spent 17% more money on foreign food and farm items than we did during the same 11 months of 2021. And if you look at last year's ag imports month by month, the entire year has been the highest on record. This from Agriculture Department Economist and Trade Trend Tracker. Say that three times fast. Trade Trend Tracker, Bart Kidder. He says prices for most imported foods are going up, in some cases up by a lot. But Bart says it doesn't seem to matter. Yes, the prices of most imported foods and ag products are rising. But we're not changing our our purchasing behavior because of those price increases. We're continuing as consumers to to buy the same amounts or even a little bit more, continuing upward trends in almost every category that we're tracking here. So what are we buying and why? Bart says when it comes to imported foods... A big part of that is fresh and frozen fruits. And, you know, that's not a huge surprise. There's a lot of demand for fruits and different kinds of fruits and for those things to be available year-round. So top of the imported list, fruit, sales of which are up 13% from 2021. Next highest would be vegetables, not surprisingly for a lot of the same reasons. Those imports up 11%, but it's not just fruits and veggies here. The growing list of imported foods is a long one. U.S. spending on imported vegetable oils has been up 42% during 2022. Demand has been up for those products. The same story for some comfort foods or ingredients that go into them, such as cocoa and cocoa products, which are up 44 percent. Bart says we consumers are also spending more to buy more of many imported products, including cheese, wine, distilled spirits and coffee. And he's forecasting that trend to continue in 2023. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Interesting report from Mr. Crawford. This is Eastern Carolina Farming on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Let's take a look at last week's market numbers. Number two yellow shelled corn was steady, 14 to 23 cents higher when compared to the prior week. Prices mostly 7.25 to 7.95 at the feed mills, 7.26 to 7.70 at the elevators through Thursday, January the 19th. Number one yellow soybeans were 21 to 30 cents higher, ranged 15.44 to 15.89 at the processors, mostly 15.05 to 15.40 at the elevators. 
Number two red winter wheat was three and a half to eight and a half cents higher, range mostly six fifty nine to seven thirty one at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants range five thirty one twenty to five forty one twenty per ton for forty six and a half to forty eight percent protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery: corn range six oh six to seven thirty two, and wheat was six twenty one to seven sixty two. Sweet potato prices, shipping point FOB for Eastern North Carolina 2022 season sweet potatoes, 40-pound cartons, orange types, U.S. number ones, 14 to 17, mostly 16 and occasionally lower. U.S. number one petites, 10 to $13, some as high as 15. Livestock prices all per hundred weight. February lean hogs were off 83 cents to close the week at 77.82. April lean hogs were off a dollar 55 to 85.72. March feeder cattle were off a dollar 90 to 180.97. April feeder cattle off a dollar 28 to 185.77. February live cattle down a dollar 10 to 156.62. And April live cattle off 98 cents to close the week at 159.92. That's this week's Eastern Carolina Farming. If you miss a show, play the podcast on demand on your time. Do so from the truck, tractor, wherever you may be. Pull us up at ecfarming.com. On that site, you'll also find the links to our sponsors, Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Eastern Carolina Farming is a production of Interbanks Media. Support the show, call Hank Hinton at 252-355-1037. For the absent Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, have a great week.